Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Keith Lefty, program of the Victorian Labour College. In the studio... Yeah, just a second. But he's uh, getting okay. a bit late here. Is John Lafferty? Oh, I'm, I'm doing bag deliverer. He's, he's doing something. I'm not quite sure what. And uh, myself, Chris Gaff. People leave things in the studio. Oh, right. Uh, okay. So, you know. Well, uh, during the week, uh, the Thai King died. Well, now, most Australians don't know much about him. I must say, I didn't until I had a, a bit of a look. But he was a weak and characterless monarch who spent his useless and privileged life in a bubble, surrounded by formling, fawning, grovelling toadies who thought he was a god. In fact, he played a significant role in preventing democratic rights, preventing social justice and the fair and unbalanced use of the law. He did this by legitimising the worst policies and atrocities committed by Thai rulers. Uh, Pamipon was a willing tool of the military who constantly staged coups and obstructed democracy and the economic development of the Thai people. He amassed so much wealth from the work of others during his reign that he became the richest man in Thailand and the richest monarch in the world. Uh, Pamipon was born in the USA, which is not shouldn't be a surprise, and spent most of his youth in Switzerland. He came to the throne after his older brother died from gunshot wounds to the head in 1946. Now, his brother's death was suspicious, to put suspicious it mildly. Suspicious, to put it mildly. It was either a suicide or a gun accident involving Pamipon, the bloke who did become king. Pamipon, in order to cover himself, one suspects, allowed three innocent palace staff to be executed over the incident. And then Prime Minister uh, Pretty Panomyong to be falsely blamed for the incidents by his political opponents. During the late 1950s and early 60s, he was used by Thailand's corrupt and despotic Field Marshal Sari Tamarat to build a coalition between the military and the monarchists. The monarchy had fallen into distribution and was very unpopular in the 50s and the 60s, in the 30s and the 40s. He was, the king was systematically promoted as the symbolic figurehead of the anti-communist alliance. The US government also distributed photos of the king in villages, in rural areas, as part of their fight against communism. Any house without a picture of the king was considered to be a red house. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Never once did Pami Pond speak up for democracy or social justice. Never once did he criticise corruption. In 1973, the military regime was overthrown by a mass popular uprising and Pomapon was called upon by the elites to step in and protect the status quo. He joined the military and conservative elites in promoting right-wing paramilitary groups <coughs> such as the village scouts who attacked student activists on the left. Hmm. The result was a bloody crackdown at Thammasat University in 1976. Pomipon supported this crackdown. He justified by saying this in 1976 that Thailand had experienced, quote, too much democracy. Hmm. Well, you know, that's a big problem, (laughs) as you know. By the mid-1980s, democratic space in Thailand opened up and elected a civilian government came to power. But it was toppled by a new coup Hmm. in 1991, which Pamipon again supported. Yeah, I don't know if we're ready for that, eh? In 1992, a mass popular uprising ended the dictatorship. When it was clear the army had lost, Pamipon appeared in public to claim his democratic credentials. A bit hard, you would think. 
One elite politician who helped promote uh, Pomapon's image was Sakasan Shinawara, who, sp- who won repeated elections due to his party's pro-poor policies. And the vast, it must be said, the vast majority of Thai people enjoyed real gains from these reforms. The result, of course, was the 2006 and 2014 military coups against elected government and the destruction of democracy. Shinawatra, you're speaking about. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, Pumakon was a willing tool in these coups too, allowing his name to be used by the army and royalist thugs. When the army gunned down a th- hundred civilians mm-hmm. protesting for democracy in 2010, the king remained silent. It was this event and two recent military coups that raised seriously questions in the minds of millions of Thai citizens about the benefits of actually having a king. Many believed that Panapon was powerful and had ordered the 2006 coup and even the 2010 killings. The fact is, of course, that Pomica never had political power. His role was always to provide ideological legitimacy for the elites and their, uh, and their actions, especially the army. His reactionary self-sufficiency economy was designed to oppose any redistribution of wealth and support neoliberalism by opposing state intervention to alleviate poverty. Yet any criticism of his actions, or those of the royal elites, will be harshly punished by the use of the Les Majesty Law, Mm. which means you can't attack the king. This is why so many obituaries written by foreign journalists will continue to repeat the usual lies and nonsense in praise of this uh, loathsome, pathetic man, mm. the, the late king. And interestingly, his place is being taken by a 63 or A complete moron. <laughs> no, no, actually, there's a 96. I spoke about it last no, week. That's right, yeah. that's right. And that's right. And uh, A 96 year old is filling in as a sort of, well, in the old days, they would have called a, a regent. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he's filling in. 96. But he doesn't even live in the country. I think he's going to be there for a while. Apparently, he's, he's got the job until he dies. Well, that, at 96, you would think that would be relatively <laughs> That's the joke, yeah. Now, do you want to go? That's from the Green Left Weekly. It is. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's not bad. I don't. I really don't give it much time. Oh, but that's no, not a bad article. No, no. They that's not s- a bad article. They, yeah. It's uneven. They had some very, very good stuff and some, yeah. you know, stuff that's just reporting. reporting. But no, I thought that was very valuable because you won't hear read anything about that in the paper. <clears throat> Um, they, they, they don't seem to mention much the new filler, okay, so who's the prince who's sort of saying, well, I don't really want the job for the moment, I need to grieve with the people as his excuse, yeah, 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 but yeah. I think apparently, uh, you know, people... Well, it will play know, the same role. I pe- mean, people, the- people in the olden days, you know, like, they, they didn't actually see how these guys operated, so it's easy for them to believe the illusion that the king is what they're told yes. the king is, you know, the Japanese That's emperor, right. whoever it is, you know. But um, the, the people know an awful lot more about the new filler, and they're not too impressed. I think even royalists are not too no, impressed no, no, by no, them. No, not. No, so no. Um, they've got to, you know, it's, 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 it happens with the Vatican, it happens with Buckingham Palace. They've got to get the propaganda machinery to operate to like, and it'll take them quite a while, I think, in the case of this guy, to actually paint this bloke as even being acceptable. Well, yes, they'll probably, you know. just, they'll probably hit go quiet about him. If he's too much of a moron, they just won't say much. You've seen him when he turned up at the, um, in Germany at the airport? No, I mean, he, he, might, he might have actually been taking the piss. Maybe he's the biggest rebel of the lot, but he, yeah. he wore, he, he was wearing up like a cross between a bra and a tank top. Right. And he had some um, 
stick-on tattoos <laughs> and hold, <laughs> holding a poodle. Well, and he and he took the salute from the military like this. They you know, loved so, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's joking. Yes, yes. Yeah, I was going to speak. Yeah, I was going to speak a little bit about. Um, well, in the lead up to elections and referenda, there are a lot of opinion polls around, and these, uh, you know, they all claim to be accurate, and they're there to tell us how they think people are going to vote. Mm-hmm. At one time, there were only a few of these. I mean, going back, I only really remember Roy Morgan, Gallup poll, but now they're all over the place. Opinion polls can never be at all understood unless we know what is the question being asked. Who do people are answering it, and how many people there are? And there are other variables. Of course, some opinion polls appear to be clearly rigged to suit a particular outcome. For instance, recently there was one by a company called Essential. Essential asked this question: Would you support a ban on Muslim immigration to Australia? The results were forty-nine percent support for a ban, forty percent against the ban, eleven percent undecided. Now, imagine how people of Muslim background might feel about such figures, suggesting that half, just about, half, 49%, half the country sees them as being unwelcome. It's pretty nasty. Mm -hmm. The liberal media greeted these figures with shock, and for once, I think maybe even the liberal media got it right. But these figures were collated by a group called Your Source. I I don't know a bit about Your Source. Your Source has been around for decades, and they're actually well known for their work in market research data collection. So if this is reputable, and coming from Your Source, it's suggesting it's reputable, because I'd never heard of Essential, but when I saw it's from Your Mm. Source, I thought, well, you know, they've, they've, they've been there for a while. If it's not to be believed, why would any poll be believed? In the lead-up to the U.S. presidential elections, where the media has shown an incredible bias in favour of Hillary Clinton, there's a new poll came out this week, and it asked this question. Which of these is the biggest threat to international peace and stability? And the the answers were, people said 42% ISIS and Islamic radicalisation, biggest threat to international peace and stability. 21% a Trump presidency. 11% 11% a growing level of inequality, mm-hmm. and 5% Russian aggression. Only two other alternatives were actually offered, global warming and overpopulation. So a Trump presidency is offered as a possible threat, but not a Clinton presidency. Yes, that's right. Russian aggression is offered as a threat, but not... American aggression. US aggression. <laughs> Never. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, we only have to glance, just a mere glance at US foreign policy over decades and Hillary Clinton's very own actions and words to know that therein lies probably a very great threat to international peace and stability. But the opinion poll doesn't even offer these as alternatives. So the opinion poll is clearly, that opinion poll yet again is a farce. It is true, speaking about the uh, you know Hillary and the the, the, you know, the, the Russian bogey that she's stirring up, mm-hmm. many unscrupulous politicians in the past, many, many, have used the threat of, existen- of external enemies to stir up their local audience. Vladimir Putin is well aware that this is what the US Democrats are doing at present with regards Russia. Putin has even spoken of highly placed Americans telling him it's just politics and it will all blow over after the election. Right. Still, Putin wouldn't be a responsible leader if he didn't respond to the aggressive remarks seriously. And he said this, 
jeopardizing Russian-American relations in order to gain brownie points internally. I consider this to be harmful and counterproductive. It's not funny anymore. If somebody wants confrontation, this is not our choice, but it does mean there will be problems. Mrs. Clinton has chosen to take a very aggressive stance against Russia. Mr. Trump, on the other hand, calls for cooperation, at least when it comes to the fight against international terrorism. Naturally, we, the Russians, welcome those who would like to cooperate with us, and we consider it wrong that we always have to be in conflict with one another, creating existential threats for each other and the whole world. Putin makes some good points. If Mrs. Clinton really is as popular amongst her people as we're being told, and so superior to Mr. Trump, now that'd be hard, why does she have to resort to superpower saber-rattling to win votes? Another point to make is that owing to the rise of ISIS and the ongoing Syrian war, the Islamist threat is now at least being taken more seriously around the world. While Trump can be crude and even discriminatory in his characterization of some Muslim groups, he is at least saying he will work with other nations, particularly Russia, to overcome the extremists. Mrs Clinton, who is largely culpable for the growth of the extremism, can't be trusted in this regard. The recent attack in Mosul to root out ISIS also appears to be a blatant attempt by the Obama administration to help her over the line. I'd like your comment on that too, Chris. But getting back to opinion polls, considering the time and money spent on these things and the seriousness with which they're taken, you would think they'd have a fair degree of accuracy. But just look at two polls this year. On the day prior to the Brexit vote in June, June this year, mm -hmm. the six top opinion polls in Britain all said the country would vote to remain in the EU, and some of them were quite a big margin. Yes. They voted to leave. The Liberal media was uh, oh, shocked that they in their wisdom could be so wrong. And they even went so far, some of them, as to say it was, it was outrageous that the people hadn't listened to what they were telling them to yes, do. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like you're saying about the, the, the king, you know, exercising democracy. Yeah, yeah. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> Not too much. Prior to the Australian federal election in July, the opinion polls were unanimous in predicting a big or very big win for the coalition government. The TAB was only offering 20 cents profit for every dollar placed on Malcolm Turnbull remaining as Prime Minister. As it turned out, the two-party preferred vote saw the coalition win by just 0.72%. <coughs> this translated to the government having just one seat more than the non-government side. In both cases, the opinion polls were not to be trusted. These these are just too uh, there are just too many variables for this to be otherwise. I think you know. I and mean, one thing I'd bring up is like you know you're asking a person a question. You know, I mean, like, do you lie? I mean, you know, how often do you have sex? Whatever it is, you know. I mean, seriously, <laughs> you think, don't trust the answer. You mean? Well, <laughs> well, uh, some people are saying that uh, a lot of the people who support Trump are too. Yeah, yeah, because the, to say that they support Trump because they get ridiculed. Because the media is so bad. I mean, yes. the media says they're undesirables, they're, they're, they're yes. scum, yes. they're filth, and all yes. this sort of stuff. That they're, they're evil, they're racist, they're this, they're redneck, they're poor. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. there are all sorts of things. You know. Actually, what was interesting in, uh, in what you were saying was that one of the concerns which they did list was growing inequality. Mm, yeah, yeah, that, that's good. Yeah, that's, that's good, good to put that's that good. in. You and know. I think that the people underestimate that as a, 
a source of tension in, in the coming period. They got eleven percent. Huh? They got eleven percent. Well, yeah, I think they should. They should be getting a hundred percent, really, mm. because yeah, that so. is the issue of the day. In fact, there was a lecture delivered in Sydney on Sunday by a French political economist, Thomas Picker. I've still Picker. got another page to go, by the way. Oh, sorry. Sorry. So I know I, I sort of like opened that no, up. No, so no, sorry. No, fine, fine. Donald Trump, I believe, is right when he says that not only are opinion polls rigged, although he he, he tends to favor. I mean, if, if it's a favorable one. <laughs> He's he tends to, not so <laughs> yeah. you know, but U.S. elections, um, he, he says that U.S. elections are rigged until the middle of the 20th century. Every American election was rigged. Women only got the vote in 1920 and the disenfranchisement of African-Americans in the South didn't end until the 1960s. And some place still hasn't ended. Yeah. And you've got, you know, the Jerry Mandry, you've got this sort of like, you know, uh, if someone's been to prison. Well, and also, they, they all, all these vote, requirements you know? when you vote, you've got to have yeah. uh, an identification mm. with a photo. Well, a lot of people don't have a driving license, right. so they won't have Vagrant it. Vagrant people, etc., 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 you know. Only in 1971 was the age of eligibility reduced from 21 to uh, 18. So before that, keep in mind Vietnam, not to mention the other ones, before that, young men under 21 had been drafted to fight for a government they couldn't even vote for. Mm-hmm. How fair is that? The 1960 presidential election, which gave liberal John F. Kennedy his victory, was widely, con- widely considered to be rigged. Republican Richard Nixon um, claimed so himself, but also claimed that he'd accept the result for patriotic reasons. The story was even more bizarre in the 2000 election. Al Gore, the Democrat candidate, won 543,000 more popular votes than Republican George W. Bush. The contest was actually decided in Bush's favour, not by the average voter, but by the four, five to four ruling of the Supreme Court, which declared the Florida result was legitimate. legitimate. Clearly wasn't. And that got Bush over the yeah, line. Yeah, the chads right. and all that sort of nonsense went on for, I think it was weeks, I think it was. Mm-hmm. It seemed like weeks anyway. And it's been well documented that this year the Democratic National Committee organised to ensure Hillary Clinton won the party's nomination over Bernie Sanders. The DNC head, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, was forced to resign because of this, the fall guy. Hillary Clinton carried on regardless. There are numerous examples of fraudulent behaviour in US politics, yet the Democrats and their media friends are now lining up to tell us it's outrageous that Donald Trump should even suggest that this election isn't squeaky clean. Right. Some of them are saying every election has been clean going back to the Civil War. Right, of course, that 150 years of clean elections. Clinton and her team are not to be trusted uh, on this, even less than I think Barack Obama was. If this is the best choice faced in America, it's a pretty uh, lousy choice. It's really a choice between mad versus bad. Yeah, mad versus bad, you know. Yeah, I think that's right, you know. You've got like an egotistical psychopath against... Uh, a warlike like a hawk supporting the uh, establishment. Yes. So you're thinking Trump is the egotistical psychopath? Well, I think, take yeah. your pick. Take really. your pick. Take you got to jump. One's a man. One's a woman. And look, no, to be serious, though, to be serious. Now I've just got one page mm-hmm. just on Sam. So I just mm-hmm. want to speak about Sam. So we have a bit of time here. Mm-hmm. But uh, being serious, though, uh, I mean, what have we had forty plus American presidents. They've all been men. Mm-hmm. It is time that we got a woman in. Oh, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. just to just to you know, and the little girls, whatever. Yeah, you two can be president. That's cool. You know, just as a you know, it was a, a gesture that Obama got in. You know, yeah. 
We know it's not going to change. It made no but difference you know, whatsoever. No, certainly, that's right. But it's it's good maybe just to get our over and done with. Well, sure. Know, just yeah. to say that, that's okay, right. you know, that's that that is, there's, there's no, you know, uh, it's lessening. So I was going to speak about Samsung. I got this email from the ITUC, which is the International Trade Union Confederation. Sharon Burroughs, remember Sharon Burroughs from ACT? Yes. Yeah? yes, yes. She's now the head of this, uh, the International Trade Union Confederation. The founder of Samsung once reportedly declared, this is what it says, the founder of Samsung once reportedly declared that the company would recognise trade unions over my dead body. Now, leaked internal documents at Samsung reveal the extreme lengths the company will go to to exert complete control over workers' lives, especially those who want to join a union, a former union rather. The PowerPoint presentation, intended for the eyes of corporate bosses only, decree specific countermeasures, these are their words, countermeasures to be used to dominate employees. This is the, apparently the, the actual words that were used yes. in this PowerPoint uh, demonstration to Samsung bosses. The leaked material instructs managers to, quote, isolate employees, punish leaders, and induce internal conflicts. According to China Labor Watch, uh, employees at Samsung factories, some underaged, suffered through 100 hours of forced overtime per month, unpaid work, standing for 12 hours, verbal and physical abuse, severe age and gender discrimination, and a lack of worker safety. Um, I think Samsung is it's mainly, it's a South Korean company, mm. but I think most of their employees are in China. Right. But there's other, other Asian countries uh, as well. It's huge. Samsung has a reputation for modern technology. I mean, I've got a Samsung phone. You feel sort of guilty now. Samsung has a reputation for modern technology, but also has a history of medieval conditions for its estimated 1.5 million workers. Gee, gee. 1.5 million. Really? Gee, gee. The Asia Research Monitor Center also reports that Samsung's no-union policy affects the entire Asian electronics industry because Samsung Electronics intervenes actively to prevent the formation of unions, not just in its own workplaces, but in its suppliers. Right, it's right. going to affect millions of people and is actually seen as a very, very bad example. But if they make profit, if they're successful, it's worth it. everyone will want to follow. Yeah, yeah. So anyway... Uh, that, that's all very well and good. But if people uh, you know, want to go online, www.ituc.org, you can sign a petition, which is because the Samsung shareholders have been holding the manual the, the, uh, or whatever it is meaning. So it's a good time to get in. Sign a petition to Samsung shareholders uh, calling on them to end worker abuse and abolish the no union policy now. The website is www.ituc.org. Well, as I was about to say before, um, talking about inequality, there was a, a talk given by the political economist Thomas Piketty. Pick, Piketty. Uh, he's based himself on his 2000 best-selling book, Capital in the 21st Century. And it dealt with the inexorable process of wealth accumulation at the heights of society, under conditions where the standard of living of the vast mass of the people is stagnating or in decline. Secondly, his lecture revealed the bankruptcy of his political perspective. Uh, his idea that social inequality, uh, which produces all sorts of distortion, 
can somehow be contained if we only had different policy settings for various capitalist governments, including taxes on wealthy and capital. The reality is that there's no possibility of combating social inequality other than the overthrow of the capitalist social order, which produces inequality. And we will need to have a socialist revolution carried out by the international working class. When the book was published in its English version in 2014, the London Financial Times went straight onto the attack, claiming that it was flawed. Now, these criticisms have sunk beneath the waves of data in the book, as well as further facts. Two years ago, we revealed on this program that 85 people controlled as much wealth as half the world's population. This year, it's fallen from 85 to 65. So just even by that measure alone, inequality is proceeding at plenty. Packardy's perspective was not to set out the case for the overthrow of the profit system, but just the reverse. He's an opponent of Marx. He calls Marx's apolitic vision of a historic crisis of the capital system leading to socialist revolution, which in his terms is something to be feared. He is, to use a phrase coined by a former Clinton Labour secretary, not a class warrior, but a class worrier. <sighs> that is, he's worried about the future of capitalism. He notes the consequences for the long-term dynamics of wealth distribution, he says, are potentially terrifying. And they're terrifying because there's a chance that the hoi polloi, the vast most of the people might say, might wake up. <laughs> yeah. That is, he's seeking to warn the ruling <clears throat> elites about the mounting danger to the present economic order. And he's trying to suggest measures, principally a global tax on tax return. This, he said, would contain the unlimited growth of global inequality of wealth, which is increasing at such a rate that cannot be sustained in the long run and worries even the most fervent champions of the free market. Well, what happens in these, since the two years since these lines were penned? Well, the vast accumulation of wealth has continued to pace, fueled by the central banks, the pumping of ultra-cheap money into the financial markets, while the underlying real economy is mining what is increasingly being termed as secular stagnation. That is, low growth in investment, declining productivity, a marked slowdown in the growth of world trade, and a fall in living standards. This has produced a rebellion from below, respected in various con contradictory ways in the Brexit vote in England, the support for the avowed socialist Bernie Sanders, and even the candidacy of Trump, and the increasing hostility towards the political and financial establishments everywhere, and the growth of anti-capitalist sentiments around the world. These issues are now on the agenda of every meeting of the IMF and every other global economic institution. Pekatsi's book has been widely read, but do note that no government anywhere has undertaken any of the measures he advocated to reverse the rise of social inequality. This has not been because of a lack of so-called left governments. Look at Greece, where the Sarizzi government repudiated the massive anti-austerity vote of July 5, 2015, and implemented the demands of the European and international banks. It confirmed in reality that there is no way of ending the financial dictatorship of capital without the overthrow of the entire profit system. Pegody said it was very sad that the French and the German governments had rejected proposals for debt restructuring. His only perspective was for the democratisation of knowledge, which he hoped would bring 
sufficient pressures to get a change in policy. What the hell is the democratise? What the hell is the democratisation of knowledge? It's akin, to, it's akin to preaching morality to the keeper of a brothel. Does, it, does it mean that more of us go to university uh, free? Uh, no, it doesn't mean that. doesn't mean that? No, no. Oh. <laughs> no, no you, you've got it all wrong. <laughs> I don't get Piketty at all. Uh, is a French economist or a sociologist? What is he, economist, yeah? Uh, uh, economist, yeah, yeah. Okay, and so what is, uh, you know, what's his history, do you know? Well, he's, uh, he's an academic. He's an yeah. academic who's written about the dangers of inequality. That's why I don't know about him. That's right. But, of course... He's concerned not to overthrow capitalism like we are but concerned. save it from but itself. But to save it from itself. Well, good luck with that. But he does have his fans, Chris. I think we oh, know of someone. course. Well, he has yeah. his fans amongst big business because he's he may be considered alarmist by big business, but he's out to save them. But doesn't he have his fans by people on um, what might be called the left? Well, then uh, some fairly sick fans, you would think. Yeah, well, yeah. But uh, social Democrats who... who People, so, who, yeah. people who think there's some answer to the growing inequality within capitalism, that capitalism can reform itself, that capitalism can come nice. There's a certain element of the Greens in this. The Greens. They have this idea that yeah. if only we can make capitalism nice, it would be free. Yeah. No, it won't. The nature of the beast is horror. Exactly. Horror for the mass of the people and all his books... And all his words... And we've had 120 years of this. And we've had 120 years ago. And it hasn't. And capitalism has not made one step... As what I just spoke about with Samsung pretty much proves. Well, exactly. exactly. One and a half million people plus being screwed. The only other thing I wanted to say is just uh, what we're wrecking back to what John was talking here. We must remember that... The Muslim extremism has been exploited by the United States for its interests over the last 40 years. Mm. So this has produced a hideous confusion in Syria. And many people try to simplify it, oh, it's just the Russians or it's just the Americans. The Americans have t- have created this beast of a Muslim extremist and, and it's, it's a, a, a la- la- Largely, I, I would... I would pretend to use the word exploited and expanded rather than created. I mean, mostly, you know, Islamic extremism goes back as far as any, you know, well, the religion gave, itself. They gave know. it legs. They gave it... Uh, yeah, yeah, well, arms. Uh, uh, <laughs> More importantly, they yeah, gave it arms. They gave yeah. it arms, yes, yeah. yes. And the other little thing about it is that remember that any, any idea in your mind that capitalism equals democracy, capitalism will operate under whatever system guarantees its profits. And if parliamentary democracy doesn't do the trip, well, then they will happily abandon it for military dictatorship or authoritarian rule. There's no commitment by capitalism democracy. It's simply one form of capitalist rule, as is fascism. And if anyone knows what democratisation of knowledge actually means... Uh, <laughs> it means I'd every, be very interested. I, I, I don't know. even quite know what it means. I don't think no. he even knows. No, but you know, it's, it's one of those hopey, changey, feel-good, bloody phrases. That's right. That exactly. Like to throw around. That's you know? right. And if you don't understand it, that's because you're thick. Just listen to the clever person. Yeah, that's right. That's because right. he's been a university. Or, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Believe me, that's no guarantee of yeah. absolutely anything. No. <laughs>